0: Thank you.
1: everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, we kick off our eighth year with the great Leo Sayer. I've been trying to make this one happen for years. I don't know about you, but when I think about the music that was huge in the late 70s, I think about people like Leo. I mean, he had so many hits, and not just hits, but like era-defining hits. You know? His look, his voice, the songs, all of it... When you think of the late 70s, this is what you think of. So anyway, he actually started out as more of like a chamber pop guy. And then with the help of Richard Perry, really exploded in the end of the 70s. Unfortunately, around the early 80s, it kind of ended. And that's had a lot to do with his management. He got screwed. If you've ever looked into this before, which you probably have, he lost everything thanks to poor management. What's really interesting is at the end of this conversation, he's very forgiving of his former manager, Adam Faith. Uh, It's okay with him because he got a career out of it. Very fascinating stuff. Now, Leo, if you think about this, he's been in the show business for 52 years. 52 years. And he tells stories in here about his interactions with the guys in the Beatles, interactions with Prince which is hilarious. He was the last person to talk to Elvis before Elvis died. That story is in here too. Now, he also, maybe it's not so shocking. He's been on a real roll the last few years. In 2019, he put out what I think is maybe his second best solo album ever called Selfie. And then this year, he put out a brand new album called Northern Songs, that is him reinterpreting and reimagining Beatles hits. Now, there are, peop- there are Beatles covers out there for days and days and days, but Leo makes all of these his own. They are so unique and so interesting. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, we get into all of this. Leo is a fantastic storyteller. I love this guy, and I'm so glad we finally made this happen. He called me from his home in Southern Australia.
2: So I'm in, I'm in a place called the Southern Highlands, which is between Sydney and Canberra. If you look on the map, there's a big road that goes um, south called the Hume Highway.
3: Uh-huh. And
2: basically, we're kind of about a hundred and, oh, I, I suppose about 70 miles uh, along there on the way really? to Canberra. Yeah, wow. about two hours drive from, from Sydney. I I think And I read... it's beautiful up here.
1: I think I read in an article getting ready to talk to you that it's a small town of like six hundred people or something like that.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's basically a village, but we're quite high. We're kind of like where where you are, but we're mm-hmm. we're fourteen hundred feet.
1: Ooh, okay. We so, are 15, so you know we're kind of okay. We're fifty two hundred feet, but
2: yeah. exactly. <laughs> we're but we're kind of like what would be the low Scottish Highlands, or mm-hmm. or, or maybe. You Know kind of Lake Tahoe or something like that, yeah, that you know, sounds good on, on the way, exactly.
3: Yes, so yes. so
2: we get a different temperature up here, and um, you know, we get colder winters than Sydney. Um, we're off the sea level, of course, you know, and it's lovely and pleasant here. Quiet, I have my studio here, um, good. to show you a, a Ooh, bit of it. I have nice, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a huge barn here, um, that's my vocal booth there, and the oh, studio wow. is behind it, and um. Yeah, it's a massive space, and it's that great. I mean, great. this is what you can do when you move it out of the city into the country. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it's, it's a little bit more space. And, I've got, and it's interesting you say um, Denver, because I've got a very good friend of mine that I've been writing a lot of songs with. In fact, he remixed the song Thunder in My Heart. There was a guy called M- Mech who's on the label, the name, uh-huh. but he didn't do anything. There's a guy called <laughs> Lee Dagger, who's a big DJ in the states now. Lives in Vegas, but used to live in Denver, and he travels between Denver and Vegas all no the time. way! So I'm always talking to him. I think he's in—I think he's in Denver right now. He's in Boulder,
3: so yeah, um, that's just know, up visiting the road. friends.
2: <laughs> yeah, my my old—well, I used to go up there and see Neil Young because he had a place just off there.
1: Were you friends with Neil Young?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just a—I oh, mean, one of those lovely guys, you know. Just honest, I suppose. You know, I've been lucky to be friends with a lot of the the really no nice guys in the kidding. business. You know, no yeah. Because I mean, I lived in—I lived in America for about eight years or so. So you know, sort of, it's it's all home territory to me.
1: It's funny, Leo. Getting ready to talk to you, I learned that about <clears> you. How all these connections that you have, which I mean, I guess yeah. anyone who's been in the music industry for. 50 years, of 50 course years, you have yeah, these, gonna happen. but yeah, um, yeah, exactly. you just forget sometimes. And so I actually want to ask you about a
2: few of those. Probably one of the reasons why maybe I'm not as well known as, uh, as a lot of my contemporaries or, or should we say, you know, always in the news and everything is yeah. that I don't keep a PR and I don't keep a kind of powerful manager any longer, having been ripped off by so many. I, I just do things. I do things in a very small way, but I've got some yeah. very loyal people who represent me but most of the time, I, I I quite enjoy
1: staying off the right radar and living a very normal life, you know. So <laughs> I actually wondered about that because I mean, do you? Mm. It sounds to me, like from what I've learned, that you tour when you go out on tour. You tour primarily Australia, and then you probably hit London. Is that pretty much yeah, we it? Do, do Britain, you come through yeah. the states very
2: often? Well, well, it's just been it's just like an opportunity that's still waiting there. I mean, I signed up not that long ago with a wonderful company in America called primary wave. And basically, you know, we, we share my royalties now. Mm. And and I like that because they're very proactive Mm. and unfortunately COVID has kind of held us back a little bit because last year I was supposed to be going over there. And with the idea that we will be meeting an agent, I think it's going to, it might happen at the end of the year, but it might happen in the new year. Um, But, you know, they are going to put me together with somebody over there, and we are aiming to get me back on stage in America. There have been a million reasons why it couldn't happen or didn't happen, mostly because of just, well, one thing was not having the money to hire people to kind of, you know, get things moving for me. And then when I did do that, it just didn't work out. You know, nobody came up with anything, but it seems to be my, my star is in the ascendant at the moment. And the reaction to things like Northern songs and recent things I've been doing has been a lot stronger. So um, it's time to go back to the States. And honestly, I mean, I get, wow, on Facebook. I mean, I get 20 to 30 messages every week about people saying when are you, when are you coming back? I bet you do. It's yeah. it's unfinished business. Let's call it that. And um, it's not been the fact that I haven't wanted to come back. In fact, two years ago, um, three years ago, actually, now uh, we did a rock and romance cruise. I shouldn't I, I shouldn't be the one to say this, but I was the hit of the cruise. Were you, you really? Know, there were lots of other <laughs> there was lots of other acts on, but I came on with my English band, and they didn't know what to expect. And first off, we were playing. Uh, you know, we weren't playing the best situations. We did the opening party. And after that, it was like, when can we get him back on? Mm -hmm. So we only had two shows scheduled and they became four. So, you know, basically the the fans all just kind of, uh, everybody on the boat just said, I don't want to see him. I want to see Leo. (laughs) So it was, you know, um, it was pretty good. And that's great. And, um, you know, so, so that kind of gave us a little window into what's possible. Yes. And you know, there've been the occasional things like I came over for a PBS show in about 2000 in Asbury Park and got great mm-hmm. reaction out of that. But it's just been a business kind of factor that I've not been able to um, mm-hmm. cash in or follow up on yeah. these things. But it's all going to get corrected now. Good. And sometimes, you know, it's not a bad thing to be missing.
3: That's because true. then
2: the anticipation is even more. So Very I mean, I could point. be rather like, you know, when Tina Turner's career kind of (laughs) suddenly came back from nowhere because she met some guys in England and started making some records in England and, uh, you know, and and what's love got to do with it and all of that stuff. came. I mean, it's a little bit like Tina's story where she laid low for a long time. I mean, it was still working, but we didn't really hear about it. And I'm in a very similar situation. There's a lot of unfinished business, but if I could tell you the ripoffs I've had in my career, I mean...
3: They're well-documented stolen from yeah. and had yes. to,
2: had to build it back. So, so now we're in a stronger position. And even though I'm 73 now, 75, uh, 74 in May, oh. I still feel I've got the energy to do it. You know, Good. in fact we have a big three month tour of the UK coming up at the end of this year. Um, really? so, you know, yeah. yes. I mean, you know, so, so, so I'm back working and, Good. uh, doing little things here in Australia, not Good. much, but, but but certainly got a lot of work to do in this, in in, in Europe you know so so that's going to be good um good. It's Irish tour and Ooh, European nice. gigs, yeah
1: you mentioned earlier Leo about being forgotten or something like that i feel like because mm. you aren't able to come through the states very often people still think of you as the you know you make me feel like dancing guy and stuff like that yeah, yeah. which is which is great that's a that's a peak period that rivals anyone's peak period however what gets lost so. in this is how incredibly relevant i think the last few years of your music has been for instance the selfie album and now Northern oh you've Songs. got that yeah great, oh yeah great.
0: I think of you and all the little things we used to do do you harbor any doubt that we could have worked it out or do you think that love is just confusing like a mystery
3: you.
0: Tried everything to understand but there was nothing more that you could do can you see it in my face
1: I mean this yeah. is music that most other 73 year olds are not making there's <laughs> hip-hop beats it sounds very modern very together yeah. very now nobody else is doing that that's in your class you know what I'm saying not to the degree that you are I wanted to ask you about, we should talk about the the Eleanor I cover. I think, I think cover.
2: there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of record artists, you know, that kind of rest on their laurels. And mm-hmm. um, for me, because I still feel I've got so much to give. I mean, there's, God, there's anything up to 450 unre- unreleased tracks and and, and um, songs out there. Because wow. So, I've, I mean, I've always been prolific. So, you know, I never stop, whether it's co-writing or now these days writing up by myself. You know, I mean, I've, I I am prolific, and I I, I never stop, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm currently doing a song for the Ukrainian refugees at the moment. Really? Yeah, you know, for instance. So, yeah. I, I hope it works out all right. It's sounding good so far, but, you know, you never know at the last moments, you know, it, it may not work, but uh-huh. I think it will work. You know, you never know oh, until good. a song is finished. But I've never been one to ever live in my past. Mm-hmm. I keep moving, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think I've and I've also found a way to make records completely by myself which has been a very interesting exercise and um and I can't think of many other people who do that I mean Prince of course was sure. able to do that Stevie Wonder yeah. um you know they were able to finish songs without calling anybody else in but <laughs> they would often call somebody else in to help them out you know but <laughs> I'm I'm actually able to work completely in my own bubble I can do the lot
1: and You're um, so good at it
2: Well, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to do. I mean, Todd Rundgren, of course, you know, famously did, there was an album called A Cappella, which he only did with his own voice. Yes, You know, it's an amazing, (laughs) but all these things were inspiring to me, but I really thought if I've got this facility, this studio and everything and all the means at my disposal, even though I don't really, I mean, I only muck around on keyboards really. I don't really play instruments, you know, Uh um, the computers are great if you can manipulate sounds and samples mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you know how to sequence songs and mm-hmm. and you've got a good ear you know so so basically i've used all of that so i think are, i'm in a nice place
1: at the minute are you the guy then that has to go learn all the software so that you know how to manipulate the sounds and record them I did about 10, i've
2: i've done about 10 years doing that yeah oh, yeah
1: see i struggle with that and i'm younger than you i don't know how
2: you do this well, I, I, I mean, I have some good guys that help me. I've got a wonderful live engineer called Damien Young, who basically, um, you know, team viewer. He's able mm-hmm. to come onto my my screen and uh, fix something for me, Damien. Uh-huh. You know, so if I get completely wrong. And then I've got a wonderful engineer at the other end of it, who, funnily enough, did all the Tina Turner and Brian Adams oh, records. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He's an engineer producer called John Hudson. He used to work with a studio called Olympic Studios in London. Sure. Um and, and basically, he's married to an Australian girl. And about 10 years ago, wow, no, 15 years ago, he decided to uproot and come back to Australia. Uh-huh. So now he and I, I mean, he works with lots of different people, but mostly he and I work exclusively together. He finishes all my records for me. And he is the mixer of all time and technically, you know, really yeah. amazing. So between Damien's help and John's help, I, I've got a great support mechanism. I can That's go great. straight to them and, and yeah. they've really helped me build this system yeah. so that I can work by myself because they're both incredible supporters. I mean, you know, every time I say to John, because I made a record about three records ago that involved the rest of the band, he said, "Ugh, I preferred your demos. So he, he's the one who's persuaded me. No, do it by yourself. Don't get anybody yeah. else. It's yeah. great. And I'll help you. And we can do this, you know? Yes. So that's a, I've got this fantastic. And the same with Damien as well. They're all knocked out with what I can do. So they're helping me do that, you know, that's and great. I can reamp here and, yeah. and do crazy things with vocals and add lots of different sounds and, you know, build a build sample libraries. Thanks to them. Yeah. So that's, that's given me oh. the fuel and the, and the, equipment to, to make Selfie and Northern Songs, yes. which are the first
1: two totally mm. solo albums. They're both so good. So let's talk <laughs> about Northern uh, Northern Songs for a minute, because it's interesting. Yeah. You talk about how prolific you've been, and I've heard you mention all these songs that you have kind of locked away, ready to record at some point. Mm, what made mm. you decide that doing a Beatles cover album is what needed to be done right now in lieu of all that? And yeah. I should say for anyone who doesn't hasn't heard this, <laughs> It is, every song on here does not sound a thing like the original Beatles song does. Yeah. These are complete <laughs> reimaginings all the way. Yeah, yeah.
2: I've Leo-fied them. Yes, you um, have. And and I mean, I'm, I'm standing, I, I mean, already I've got criticism from some people because this is sacred music. You know, it's a little bit like if you take an Elvis song and kind of slow it down, you're yes. in trouble because there'll be some fanatic people who only live. And, and look, there are some Beatles songs like In My Life you know um, there's a few in there that i couldn't touch mm-hmm. i mean i there's no way i could improve they're just so gorgeous mm-hmm. something as well you know i'm mm-hmm. i couldn't touch those songs they are they're 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 perfection uh, you know there's no reason to go back right. and, and 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 look at them and think of a clever way to do it you know right. it, it, you just couldn't do it so i think i thought that you know i mean the the, the modus operandi this started the, the the model started 10 years ago. And and it was me trying to learn how to use the studio by myself. Mm-hmm. So I and John Hudson had just arrived and and I, went, I managed to get him a studio in Sydney that really wanted to work with him because of his legendary history. You know, uh, immediately I mentioned it. He said, oh, my God, we'll give you a studio. And I thought, what can we do in the studio? Because John didn't have any projects. and And I said, how about if I give you some tracks and we'll work them up in the room? And he said, yeah, that's great. And that way I can get used to the room and get everything sorted, get my gear working and all that sort of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So so I came up with an idea of not doing my songs, but picking four Beatles songs. Mm. And they are exactly as John mixed them 10 years ago. And that's uh, the first version of Eleanor Rigby with the, the, the Michael Jean Jackson version. groove.
3: So incredible. Yes.
2: Yeah. And, and, and strawberry fields forever track number two, uh, Norwegian wood and girl. And those are the first four that we did. And, and I, and John helped me finish them off. And, you know, those are the original mixes. We didn't, we haven't remixed them. So then after the 10 year, you know, 10 years ago, imagine uh, I've got lots of other stuff to do live shows and everything. And every now and then I come back to the Beatles tracks thinking, man, I've got to do something with this. So I start adding a few more very, very slowly. Take my time. In between, I'm doing other projects. I mean, I did Selfie um, um, uh, five years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and I did some work on some live stuff as well. Um, so so I kind of, I, I, it was always there. And then COVID came and I thought, well, let's use this opportunity. And I thought, I've got 50, the 50th year is coming up. Mm-hmm. Why not celebrate it by doing the Beatles? And it all I don't know, I just had a brainwave on it and mm-hmm. brainstorm. And I thought, and I'd been playing the tracks to people and they'd say, oh, you've got to release this. And I, mm-hmm. and I thought, can I get away? It's plagiarism, you know, <laughs> I've completely changed these tracks. And, yes. you know, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm being cheeky and I'm just trying things out for my own fun level,
1: you know? I think it's obvious.
2: But, but yeah, everybody said to me, and, you know, some some really expert people as well, who, who you know, a couple of DJ guys here who really know their shit, you know. And they were all just saying, you got to do it, man. you got to yeah. do it. So, yeah. so COVID came, and in mean, 2019, I was doing a tour in Ireland, had to come straight back here, and I thought, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And I put up the tracks, and I went, great, carry on. Mm-hmm. So then Yesterday Arrived, and mm-hmm. uh, Day in the Life, and, you know, all these tracks. And all the time I was thinking, what can I do with these songs? How can I make them modern, current? The first concept was an idea that I had, like a, a total visual concept, for free the Beatles, and I and I and I had this kind of like anime cartoon kind of uh-huh. Japanese anime type style movie in my head, of the Beatles are captured on the desert island, and nobody knows who they are because time has passed so much, but their Japanese captors say, "Well, if you can play instruments, prove it." Yeah. So what they do is they redo all of their songs, oh, no but way. in a completely new way, because all yeah. the technology that everybody, they give them back instruments, but they don't give them back the original Hofner bass and the uh-huh. original Ludwig drums. No, they give, they give, um, they give uh, Ringo some drum programs and they give Paul some really cool active basses And he's, oh, uh, wow. You know, yeah. and, and, and so free the Beatles was the idea that, you know, this is them trying to play for their freedom. But of course it, it proved very complicated to do. And I, I talked to one guy that I really loved his work in Japan. And, and he basically said, Look, Leo, I'm sorry, it's going to cost 60K to do this. Mm. And I went, I don't have it. So I told him that. So, so there were lots of kind of different avenues along the sure. way of how to present this. And in the end, I came up with Northern Songs because Northern Songs was the Beatles publishing company. Mm. And with Dick James, Dick James was also Elton John's publisher as well. Mm-hmm. But, but um, Brian Epstein formed uh, with Dick James Northern songs. And there's a song that George Harrison did, which I always loved off the yellow submarine. It's only Northern. a Northern song. That's
1: one of my favorite and, Beatles and, songs and, too.
2: And, yeah. yeah. And I think that what he was trying to say was like, Oh, look, it's just a fucking song. Mm-hmm. It's no more important than that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, let's not take this too seriously. I mean, my hair might be brown, it might be blue. You know, um, the words may not rhyme or they might rhyme and they <laughs> deliberately in the song don't rhyme. And he was just kind of doing it to prove that all of this as well, you know, George had a thing about fame. He hated fame. So so George would kind of throw off the idea of anything being more important than it was. It's just a song. Yeah. So I say at the end,
0: it's just a song, Yeah. <laughs> i hey.
2: And that's the idea somebody's kind of saying in the background, yeah. you know, it's just a song, you know, and there's nothing more important. And then I suddenly thought, well, here I am in the south, as far south almost as you can go yeah. in, living in Australia. And I'm dreaming of the north. I'm dreaming of Liverpool and that whole atmosphere up there. And of course, New York and all the places that, you know, were Hamburg, all those mm-hmm. places where the Beatles music, you know, came from,
1: where it was
3: inspired. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And
2: it's all north. And I thought northern songs.
1: That's perfect. And that's
2: how it came to me. You know, so you know,
1: I think um when people get uptight about I, I hear you, I know what you're saying about people covering mm, sacred mm. ground and that you yes. don't do that. And I can understand that if you're doing it number one, because you think you can improve on something, or number two, if you're doing yeah. it for overtly commercial reasons. But I yes. don't hear either of those things necessarily in Northern Songs. I hear a guy who's no. reinterpreting some classics in a really fun, unique way. Let's just yeah, think let's fun just fun pull make these things smile. exactly. <laughs> let's just pull these apart and put them back together yeah. again in a new way and see how it feels. And that's why I think well, I Northern think- Songs is a really fun listen. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've
2: been I've been glued to the Andy Warhol diaries documentary.
1: It's I haven't on watched it yet, and it, I want to. I'm, it's I'm a amazing. Huge fan. You yes. see,
2: and and think of I mean, Andy was a guy who took consumerism and took common themes. I mean, he even takes Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper as a theme for the mm-hmm. for the last works that he did. Mm-hmm. Now he would always take given things and adapt them. So whether it be Brillo pads and boxes and Coke tins and, and and coke cans and mm-hmm. uh bottles rather and um and and famously campbell's soup mm-hmm. that he loved as a kid and that's mm-hmm. the only reason he did it because mm-hmm. he grew up on campbell's soup he was, was one of his greatest pleasures mm-hmm. so he took icons from his life and then reinvented them yeah. and i think that that's what i think an artist has the right to reinvent mm-hmm. And now I'm making records on my own, and I'm not doing it as a collaborative thing with various musicians. I think that that's giving me the license to do what the hell I like, yeah, because I am a single artist, and now totally. i am I feel I'm in the same I mean, I grew up with painting, I wanted to be a painter, and I did some abstract painting and then went into graphic design. But I think with a paint I think with a, an artist's mentality, I don't think with a musician's mentality mm-hmm. in that way. So I think that that gives me the license to interpret, to reinvent, um, to borrow artifacts and and integrate them with my work and to be influenced by everything I've listened to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there could be bits of in this Beatles record, there could well be bits of Van Morrison, bits of Sly and the Family Stone, bits of Prince, bits of Stevie, you know, bits of Aretha, bits of James Brown. They're all in there. And yeah. this of Michael Jackson and Quincy yes. Jones, of course. Yes. yes. and And I don't think it's wrong that sometimes they come out as rather obvious. I mean, Girl is completely influenced by Prince. It's me doing, yeah, one nice. of my favorite people, you know. I always loved Prince Rogers Nelson. I mean, I met him when he, when he was first at Warner Brothers he and really... I took him round the Warner Brothers office and, and we, we, we kind of like really glued in together. Uh-huh. He, was, he was very different in those days, you know, because he was starting out and he kept calling me Mr. Sayer. Really? You know, it, was, it was really quite funny. And, and, but then years later, as these things happen, I went to a Prince concert when it was the Prince fan club dues. you know, uh-huh. that, they were, they, that they had those 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 shows that only the members you know would come and then you know a few of their guests and i got invited to one and i i walked out and he saw me from the stage and he went wow like that <laughs> and then and then you know because he knew of me now because i was uh-huh. i was lia Set, sure. and his bodyguard came in and said you must come backstage he wants to give you a hug really you know, and and yeah and he just and he was really in his jehovah's witness period yeah, at that yeah. time you know so he wasn't kind of saying too much, but he said, "Leo, come here." And He just gave to the biggest home. He said, "God bless you." And and, and he just said, "I." I he said, "I've followed your career," and he said, "It's incredible." He said, "You were big when I when when I first met you." He said, "But now you're you're mountainous."
1: That's great. And It was really sweet, nice. I have well, to ask Leo, who's taller? And I said, "I, I so admire prince. what
2: you've done."
3: Yeah,
1: who's Sorry. taller? You were Prince. Uh, I'm taller. I'm
2: taller. Are you he is okay? Kitschy. Okay. Yeah, Paul Simon is smaller than me as well. Is he so, really? You know,
3: okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: There's a okay. few little guys, you know. That's Paul what I Williams thought. as well as another. Yes, well you know, he's remember Paul we're another the, another tiny guy, but these I are love but these guys their energy and their um their output, I mean Paul Simon is is mind-blowing. I mean, how what much stuff he's yeah. covered. One of the and now, you know, he's, he's so technical, he takes mm-hmm. you know parts of old records and samples them and integrates mm-hmm. them. Well, these are all guys that reinvent themselves every day, yes. you know. Yes. So, and yes. and so, if, if it takes small
1: people to do that, I'm glad to be small. Well, well good, you're doing <laughs> it. Um, what uh, now in getting ready to talk to you, I learned you have quite a history with all four of the Beatles, you don't have to uh, yeah. expound on all of them, but what are some of your favorite <laughs> stories? One of the things I loved learning was about the time when you and you weren't even a singer yet, you and John go out for a smoke yeah. break one day. And then later on, <laughs> well, you're, he... you're in the recording studio together. And he's like, I know you, we smoke together or something like that. <laughs> right? Right. Oh, no, I'm incredible that he
2: remembered. Well, I, I was working as an, as an, uh, an illustrator and graphic designer, principally, mostly illustration, um, in a in a London studio, which and it was a great studio because it had a lot of the guys who were really my heroes at the time were working there in graphics, you know, in in, in illustration and, and, and commercial art. So I was thrilled to be at this job. And then somebody one day told me that um there's a an art art dealer who's got a flat on the top and he's got a girlfriend called Yoko Ono and then showed me a newspaper and is Yoko Ono hanging out with John Lennon. He's just been to her show bagism. You know um, mm-hmm. that that is in this guy's gallery, and I went. That's interesting. And the next next day, I'm down in the yard because we had dangerous chemicals, and you couldn't mm-hmm. smoke. We all smoked in those days, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be downstairs in the backyard smoking, and this guy sidles up to me, you know, long hair, gla- pebble glasses, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and the white suit. And I go, oh hi, because I, I thought <laughs> I'd be cool. I, I won't say. <laughs> John Lennon, I mean, I was a huge fan, you know. I, I, I won't say anything, and he just said, Yeah, how are you? And I just said, Yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 he said, Got a light, and I said, Yeah, yeah, man, there you go. And um, so I, I lit his, uh, his cigarette, or it might have been a doobie, I don't know, uh-huh. but um, but you know, and then it got to you know, so nice day, yeah, nice day, yeah, yeah all right, well, I gotta be going, okay, cool, nice to meet you, <laughs> and just like that. And I'm sort of kicking myself and shaking a bit because I've just met John <laughs> Lennon, bloody hell, you know, in probably one of his best periods as well. Right, And right. so, so um, yeah. So that that was it. About two years later, so I saw him a few times there, wow. but a few time, a few years later, only about two, two or three, two and a half years later, we're making my first record, Silverbird, my first album, and Adam Faith, who was very connected because he was a big pop singer you know, in the 50s and 60s and influenced a lot of people. I mean, you know, the first day I met him, I could tell you another story. He brought Paul McCartney in to meet me. So, you know, we had a dinner and Paul just walked through a door and there he is. And I'm asking him these questions. And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you anything. You'll find it out. He said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't cut your hair. He told that you that? It, you know? <laughs> yeah, he told me that. Yeah. So, so, but anyway, with John, I mean, we, were, we, we went to Savile Row because Adam had the, these connections and we were going to master the record there. We'd already mixed it, finished it, everything, but we went there to master it. And uh, just as I was walking in the door the first time I went there, a sort of guy with a big fur uh, coat came bumbling out and bumped into me and he said, ah, oh, sorry and i turned around and looked at him and he looked at me and said it's you isn't it <laughs> and that was john <laughs> he said wow. well, he shook my hand and said really nice to see you we didn't high five in those days yeah yeah like a nice formal handshake <laughs> and um and he t- he shook my hand and just said really nice to see you and he said i hear you're making your first record in here and i said uh-huh. yeah yeah just finishing it off
1: and he said well good luck
2: and and then great. turned around and that was it you know
3: yeah wow
1: Wow! Now, were you also supposedly the last person to talk to Elvis on the phone? It's true. It's true. It's a story that, um, for years, I wouldn't
2: wouldn't almost admit to because uh-huh. it it seems so crazy. Um, yeah, you know, even to me, it was one of those circumstances. I fell off stage in 1977, and um, we were on a big tour because you know I had almost two number ones in in yeah. a row in America. So. Things were very big. I was hobnobbing with some very wonderful people. And um, anyway, fell off stage in this place called Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, which is ironically the same place where Stevie Ray Vaughan on a, in a helicopter went into the mountain. Oh, wow. Yeah. A a good few years. Yeah. Many years later on an Eric Clapton show when Steve was guesting. And also uh, my, my tour manager who I'd lent to Eric at that time was in the helicopter with him. They were both, You know both them, yes. the, the two of them, and the pilot, immediate. Death. So sad, um, very sad. Yeah. So um, yeah, we should remember Colin Hannah as well, Colin. Yeah. Um, do you
1: know so, Do you know the British uh, backup singer Tessa Niles? Do you know very that name? Well,
3: very well? Do you? Well. We okay, sang so
1: together, yeah, she's great. I love her. She was. She just lives on in Colorado, here. I believe, as well um she might no, have no before. she lives she, in florida florida that's right so she yeah. and i she was on here just a few months ago and she told the story she was right. on that helicopter on that tour and yeah. then yeah. pulled off at the last second that's right that's right it, to go on so, yeah. a different helicopter and yeah. then the one that she was going to be on crashes crazy she anyway. and
2: a, she and she and a wonderful guitarist who i've worked with phil uh who is number two to mark Knopfler a lot but he's mm. also number two to eric clapton Phil, Phil, I oh, can't remember his name, but anyway, the two of them, yeah, were mm. scheduled to go on that helicopter yeah. and they said, no, no, there's room in Eric's one mm. behind
1: mm-hmm. and pulled yeah. them
2: off to that. Yeah.
1: Anyway, T- continue. I was but anyway, curious.
2: so So I'm at this gig. It was the opening night of Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, and I'm on there with Melissa Manchester supporting mm,
1: me. I love and her. I She's been on here too.
2: Yeah, she's a lovely lady, good friend still. And basically, she was the opening act and I didn't make sound checks. So I wanted to check out the stage and, you know, and Davey, my monitor man, who I really trusted, could give me her feed so I could kind of, you know, kind of hear what the room was doing, you know, what the space was doing. And I, after after doing that, I said, oh, no, it sounds great. Can't wait. I, and I just leaned back and I leaned against a curtain with no railing behind it. You know, there was no safety rail. And I fell 25 foot,
3: um,
2: you know, there was just and I somehow I managed to land on my right leg. I have an artificial kneecap replacement to prove really? that. But, you know, it eventually played up many years later, yeah. but the, the compression, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I went on and on on the tour because we were selling out because my fall became headline news. Mm-hmm. I mean, some publicists we had at the time, decided to tell the papers so there it was in the new york times and everything mm-hmm. front cover la times singer leo Sayer, um mm-hmm. death defying fall manages to stay alive no bones broken you know mm-hmm. miracle um mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff but i was having some problems with the shock delay of the shock mm-hmm. and they put me in this bloody corset you know so I'm singing like that and I can't hardly <laughs> move every night but you know what can you say from mm-hmm. from about 7000 people coming to Wolf Trap you know suddenly there are 40000 people mm-hmm. you know not just the bit at the front it's all the mm-hmm. bit at the back you know yes. those gigs you know those kind of gigs those Philadelphia sure. concerts and and they they open up the back field to kind of anybody yes. coming can see it there you know Yeah so th- that's what was going on and by the time we got to Memphis I was pretty I was pretty exhausted and we were in, May- it was Mason Dixon Hall, I remember was the was the gig, and I locked up in the dressing room and I couldn't get out of it. I was mm. literally in a ball, hunched mm. up, and nobody, I, I said, I can't move. I have completely mm. fro. I went into an, you know, all my nerves locked mm. up and that was it, muscles knocked up. And they brought in a guy who was <laughs> a wonderful fella, huge, great big guy, white guy from Florida, uh, from Miami, um, who was an ex-Miami Dolphin uh, player. And he was one of those, you know, when they won the Super Bowl and everything, so he's a big, celebrated player. And he was working in town. He said, look, I know what to do with him. So he picked me up in his arms like this, carried me out like a ball of fluff, Mm -hmm. put me in his car, and took me to Huntsville, Alabama, Mm -hmm. and told everybody else, just leave him with me for a week. And everybody agreed. Hold on the tour. Mm -hmm. Sorry, apologize to the audience. We won't be playing tonight, you know, Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da. And left him with me for a I was left with him what was gonna be a week, but it was actually three days or so before I fully recovered. He knew what to do, and gradually I just got stronger and better. And he was brilliant. You know, these sports guys are great. You know, when they go on the field and somebody's locked a shoulder, they just go, sure. like they, know yeah.
3: they know what to do. Yeah,
2: they know what to do. exactly. They've worked with 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 um with with uh, orthopedic and, sure. you know, and all, all those trainers for years you know yeah so they 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 know what to do so he was he was brilliant and I was feeling right a ra- right as rain in about four days time and I think it was a weekend or something like that or the end of the week and I kept quizzing him and saying, who do you work for because he, had, he told me I worked for an important guy in town but he wouldn't tell me who and then one day he just handed me the phone you know this this mm-hmm. day when I was I said, I, I think I'm ready to roll, you know. And he mm-hmm. said, well, hang on. He said, we've got a few more days. He said, um, I've got something for you. And he said, handing me the phone. And this is Elvis Aaron Presley. <laughs> uh, you make me feel like dancing. <laughs> and he said, Michael's oh. told me all about And I'm, I thought it was a hoax call uh, because yeah. I had this photographer, quite a famous photographer, Terry O'Neill, mm-hmm. who did a lot of the Sinatra and, mm-hmm. you know, Rod Stewart and everybody. You know, he used to go out with Faye Dunaway, famous photographer. Um, from the 60s and the 70s, I thought it was Terry because Terry once had me up all night talking, pretending to be Bob Dylan, who was my hero. And, you know, and I believed, it. oh, Bob, I'm so excited. We're <laughs> going to meet up. And uh, he said, no, nah, it's me, Terry, you daft bugger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I thought, first off, I might have sworn, I might say, oh, fuck off, Terry, you know, <laughs> to Elvis. So, so but basically, uh, he said, please do not use profanities with me, sir. You know, mm-hmm. uh, all this sort of stuff. And, and I said, oh, I'm terribly sorry. You really are. And Michael was over the other side of the room uh-huh. nodding his head like this, <laughs> you know, saying, yep, it's him. Yes. So we had a marvelous conversation, really fantastic. And he said, look, I'm a bit down at the moment. I could do with some inspiration. I could do with some good people hanging around. Yeah. He said, I've got rid of a lot of the people in my life. And um, he said, there's just me and my girlfriend, Ginger, here. And he said, why don't you come over tomorrow? Michael will arrange it. And let's hang and make some music and do some things together. And you know, nobody has to know. He said, but if but maybe we'll do something great and then the world can know, you know. And, and I went, Oh my God, is this really happening? You know, this is the king. This is wow. the king. You know, it'd be like yeah. having dance classes with James Brown. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's, it, it's really, you know, I I'm wow. So yeah. I was so excited. And I used to record on the radio. I had a, when I got my Grammy, which was the same, uh, mm-hmm. actually, no, it wasn't when I got, it's when I went to number one uh, okay. with You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. Warner's gave me a beautiful present, brand new at that time, a Sony record deck. Mm. So in other words, a cassette deck that mm-hmm. could record off the radio <laughs> and record off anything. And sure. fantastic. So I'm sort of singing a song ideas into it, but mostly I was ra- radio, sing, ra- mm-hmm. recording the radio. Because, yep. you know, you've got all the Deep South radio, with of course. amazing gospel, country, everything. I've still got the tapes now.
3: That's and great.
2: I was I was recording that morning when, when, um, when it came on the news. This is Memphis. Uh, the news has just come in. Hot news that uh, Memphis Baptist, Baptist State Hospital has just received the singer Elvis Presley dead on arrival. Uh, we're, we're still processing this news. We're all in shock here. And I've got that recording still. Wow, I recorded it, you know. You have Michael the tape came, saying that. Wow, I got the tape, yeah. And 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 uh, because you know, I kept it on record, yeah. And then Michael rushed in the room and said, Look, I've got to be with the family, I, I've got to go because you know. Um, and there were cousins apparently over there that wanted to come. You know, yeah. he he had to organize everything because only Elvis and Ginger were at the house you know, and, and Elvis now is gone. So yeah. he had to rush there. He he just oh flew gosh. there, left me the keys, you know, he'd arranged a cab to take me to the airport mm-hmm. in Huntsville. And I had my flight tickets, you know, so I could go from there to Memphis wow. to, to, to LA. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, and for a long time, you know, I just kind of parked all of this because no one's going to believe you that you right. were the talk to Elvis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this it, there were lots of people cashing in on Elvis at that time. You know, hey, I knew him really well. No, you mm-hmm. didn't. You know, there were lots of that going on and fans being very protective and people around, you know, Joe Esposito and all the people around the Elvis mm-hmm. posse being very protective as well. So I thought, I can't tell anybody about this. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner, uh, my my wife at the time knew, of course, and my managers knew, but they said, no, no, it's just, you're going to be on a hiding to nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. So for about... 20 years I kept quiet wow 20 25 years until um David Foster came to London you know the producer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a a long time before ago in the run-up to working with Richard David had played piano with me Mm -hmm. he wasn't a big producer in in the Mm -hmm. in those days he was just doing a lot of different projects and Mm -hmm. you know so we kind of knew each other a bit you know and he was a cool cat you know a nice guy and i followed him suddenly becoming meteoric, you know, from Mm -hmm. Celine Dion, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know, being huge. So Mm -hmm. when they told me David Frost is coming to London and he wants to see you, I thought, hang on, my life's changed. I was down on my luck at the time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, wow, he wants to produce me maybe. You know, he remembered. And, of course, he remembered me. But the real reason he came over, as I found out at dinner that night when we went to dinner, was beside him is Ginger Aldrin.
1: That's right. They married. Who was his last? Yes. Yeah,
2: last last girlfriend. Yes. And she said, "Look, I hate flying and everything, but when I heard David was coming over here, I suddenly thought, now it's time. I must speak to Leo." Mm-hmm. And I found and she found out that Stuart, um, this guy Stuart um uh, McDonald or so, um anyway, he was kind of, a kind of um our publisher, our mutual mm-hmm. song publisher. So mm-hmm. it was Stuart who called me and said you know, um, uh, David Foster wants to meet with you, wow. and that's all he tell me. And and and, and so uh, you know, we're the, at the dinner. Stuart, myself, David, and Gina. A very flash restaurant. A mm-hmm. ginger. And ginger just turns around to me. And she said, "I just want you to hear what Elvis." was how excited Elvis was and the last words he said to me before going to bed and I found him dead the next day. were Leo's coming, Leo's coming and singing. You make me feel like dancing as he went up the stairs. Oh my gosh. So suddenly I had the verification because somebody else had said, and David's nodding as well and saying, I've known this story for a few years and I've, I've been, I've wanted, I, I, I lost, David said, I feel guilty because I lost contact with you as well. And yeah. I, I kept asking people, does anybody know Leo, but you disappeared off the map, you know, so I wow. couldn't find you. So here they were telling me the story, yes. and just, you know, and David said, you know, it's, it's really incredible that, that, uh, you know, he was saying, he said, yeah, how Elvis locked into you. And he said, I can understand it because I know your charisma, you know, he, he would have, detected that on the phone. He knew it was a good thing to to meet you. And that's an incredible story. I feel very humbled by that, but it it, it was verification anyway. And suddenly I could tell the story and I, I went on an English TV show and immediately told the whole story and about meeting ginger. Mm -hmm. And there were about almost a thousand calls to saying Leo is a charlatan. It never happened. You know, because this is how protective yeah, people yeah, get of, of their idol. He's my yes. idol. He's not yours. Yeah. And how would someone, um, and I suppose, you know, because I'm not in the news every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't at that time. Yeah. He's just saying that story just to be famous again, you know. Yeah. And wow. that's what you get,
1: you know. So. Well, good for you that it turned out everybody <laughs> who matters validated your story. Yeah. And that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about those days that period because when I go back and I listen to especially the first three Leo Sayer albums to me your career and maybe you know this maybe you don't it, to mm. me it sounds it reminds me so much of Elton John Elton John early yeah, on yeah, has that similar yeah. kind of chamber pop folky songwriting writing uh, style that's right yeah with
2: Bernie and a, yeah exactly
1: yes very and odd of course, about
2: graphical
1: yeah very much then, about stories
0: and yes like the train.
1: And, but then eventually some, and I think it might be the Richard Perry connection comes in there Mm. and ignites something in you that takes it worldwide and makes it huge. What did, am I right in assuming that by the Endless Flight album, is it Richard Perry that's coming in and is launching you from where you were to that next level? Very very true. I mean, I'd made
2: three albums. Um, you know, the third one, All didn't of them have great, David by Co- the
1: way, just different. Yeah.
2: And the third one didn't have David Courtney involved. And I think Adam felt a bit lonely producing mm-hmm. it by himself because, you know, always that he would be working with David. We worked with Russ Ballard, who was guitarist. Uh, He's he been on here it, too. Him. He's great. Yeah. And, and, and he was guitar It started off as he would tell you by, by being Adam Faith's guitarist, yep. you know, that he was how, how his career started. So basically, um, we did another year, and I was really proud of it. And right after another year, I wrote a whole bunch of new songs and put a little band together, went into a studio, and I thought, I'll take these to America, and we'll see. You know, and I'd been talking to Adam because Adam was unhappy, and he said, I don't think I can produce you anymore. I don't know enough. You need a real producer. And, um, and he said, because, you know, we're only scratching the surface here. We can't keep making these homegrown British records. I was quite happy to do that. Sure. I I'd have stayed doing that, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but no. So I said to him, I said, well, okay, if we're going to go to America. I'd love to work with, uh, you know, Jerry Wexler or Arif Mardin, or Tom, um, you know, Dowd. Rod Stewart, Tom, Dowd. Uh, Tom Dowd. Yeah. Those kind of guys, you know, um, maybe Jerry Warnica and, and, and Russ, uh, you know, Russ Title." Lee Lee Warneker, yeah, and
1: oh yeah, yeah, Larry, Larry Warnerker yes. and Russ yes. Titelman,
2: yeah, were, were those guys, you know, and they were, yes. and and I said even, you know, maybe you could get Raikuda to pro- to produce me, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm really into that. But he's he looked around and he came back just with Richard Perry. I think Adam knew that I had to be moving in the pop direction. Mm-hmm. I wasn't happy because later, you know, when I bumped into Jerry Wexler, he said. Nah, never called me. I'd have loved to have produced you, man. You know, I went, oh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. You know, <laughs> you got that close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, later I did get produced by Arif, so that, that sure. was good. That was good. Sure. I just wanted to get out there and really be, work with the best. And mm-hmm. you no, know, I, I didn't think that Richard Perry, even though he'd done wonderful albums with Nilsson, I didn't think he was the best for me, you know. Really? But, and we didn't get on at first. Ooh. You know, I was leaving to get on the plane, in fact, after the first few meetings because I thought he wasn't interested in any of my songs. He didn't want oh. me to write songs. He just wanted he just wanted me as a singer.
1: He just yeah. loved
2: the voice, you know. And he said, you're Frankie Lyman, you know, and Smokey Robertson reinvented. I
1: could hear that. Because he knew yeah. I could
2: sing the falsetto, and, and he loved that, you know. So it triggered. He, Richard, absolutely he adores 50s music. You know, yeah. it's all about doo-wop. Mm-hmm. And all about those early bands, you know, and and the Spectre thing, you know, that's that's that, that's Richard's alumni, you know, that's his influence, and that's his that's his university, if you like, mm-hmm. of music, you know. So he's always trying to get back to that. You see that in the way that he's produced Rod Stewart, you know, doing uh-huh. the American Songbook, and the way he worked with Carly Simon, and the way that he worked with Barbara Streisand, and exactly. and, and all of those people, Martha Martha Reeves. You know, a lot of the, and, and, and and Nielsen, of course, Nielsen Schmilson in the night, you know, Mm -hmm. he wants to get those, he wants to be that classic. I mean, Richard's dream thing would have been to produce Sinatra. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's really where he's at. Yeah. So very mainstream in that way, which is not as experimental as I want it to be. So, so I'm, I'm kind of like at loggerheads with this guy, but we do have one thing in common. We both love soul music. We both love Motown. So, Mm -hmm we found a common ground and he basically, I was on the way to the airport packing my bags. And he says, Leo, don't go to the airport, come to the studio. I've got some musicians for you. Mm. And I walk in and there's Ray Parker, Jr. Ralph McDonald on congas. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was Jeff Beccaro yet on drums. I can't remember. But it was a fantastic band, Larry Carlton.
1: All, know, the all the legends played musicians. with you. Yeah. And I
2: walk in and he said, and he said, and he just whispered one, you know, in my ears, he said, what becomes of the broken hearted? And then he turned around the band. He went, one, two, this is at the doorway <laughs> to the studio. Really? And, you know, and I walked straight to the, up to the microphone as I walk this land, of broken, <laughs> and I start singing. And that was it.
3: Wow. You know,
1: they had me. That was the connection.
2: They had me at hello. Yes. cool. <laughs> so we stayed on that day and we did Tears of a Clown as well, um, which is an outtake from Endless Flight. <laughs> which, I've, and I I, and funnily enough, I've got the Endless Flight multi-tracks now. Mm. I've finally managed to get them back. So I'm working on those in the background. Um, good. Probably they might come out when Endless Flight is 50 years
1: old because okay. it's 45 years yes. old this year. There should be a deluxe year. version of Endless Flight with all the bonus it, material. It's all
2: planned, and okay, they'll good, have the extra good. material, and it will all be remax, remixed. Good. So it will Perfect. be like a – it'll be Endless Flight Redux.
3: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the
2: cover as well I've already planned – it's going to be, you know, I'm kind of jumping mm-hmm. against the sky. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be jumping against the solar system.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, You know, like those curvature yes. of the earth kind yes. of shots that the, the astronauts <laughs> take on the way to the moon. So yes. that's going to be the background. So Good. it's the sky's the limit. Um, Good. But anyway, I, you know, we kind of, we cut some tracks and we started to get closer. And then, of course, my writing side wouldn't be stopped. So you make me feel like dancing came out of a jam session in the middle of other tracks that Richard had selected, or that publishers and me had selected, you know, to, to 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 fit to fit the the script, you know, to fit mm-hmm. to fit the uh, uh, the pattern. Um, but I was writing in the middle of it, and you know, and he had a, two young writers, um, Johnny Vistano and Vinny Poncia, and I right. started working with them as well, you know, so. So, you know, in the end, yeah. the song come you know, the album came out with I would say 30% is original okay. songs, you know, as, as well as with Barry I, Mann as well that I met and, and yeah. started writing with Barry. Barry
1: was a hero of mine, of course. You know, legend. Uh, uh, legend. Yeah. Yeah. I've so, always wondered, uh I'm a big Andrew Gold fan, and my favorite Andrew Gold yeah. song is Endless Flight. So how did that yeah, song enter song. into the orbit of all of this? Um, Did Richard bring it to you and say, I think you'd like this? Did you bring it to him?
2: Well, two factors almost. Sorry, I was waving to my partner's honor. Um, (laughs) uh, Two factors, I think, come together. One that I knew Andrew because I was friends with Linda Ronstadt. And and Andrew was running her band at the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. You know, so we knew each other anyway. And we got on like a house on fire. He's a great character. So, you know, I knew Andrew through that. And then Richard came in with this song, Endless Flight. And when I heard it, I just fell off my chair. I thought this mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. and I actually suggested that it was kind of—I mean, the way Andrew did it, it was kind of a quiet song with a big mm-hmm. chorus.
3: Yes. You know,
2: and mm-hmm. and I kind of said this could be mountainous, mm-hmm. and Paul Buckmaster, the arranger, you know, Elton famously with yeah. Elton John, had arrived in London at the time, and 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 Richard really wanted to use Paul for one of the tracks, mm-hmm. so he he played him "Endless Flight" and and. Paul just said, I could do something mountainous with this. Yeah. You know, it, it should be like an endless flight, you know. Mm-hmm. So he suggested making it bigger. And he wrote a chart. But when we went into the studio uh, with all the musicians, and we had about 80, 80 orchestra, 80 pace orchestra in this massive room of Richard's. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is going to cost a fortune. So I'm going to be paying <laughs> for this in here. You know? and here. Uh, and, and Richard just said, no, 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 tear it up. I hate it. Paul, can you rewrite it? Let's have arpeggios. And mm-hmm. and Paul just went, yeah, okay. So Paul said, like, get me three copyists and let me take over Richard's office because wow. there was a piano wow. up there. Yeah. And he sat with the, you know, Paul Buckmaster was a great musician. Mm-hmm. So he sat there with the piano and working it out. And had the, you know, his firing sort of like B flat, B flat, uh, diminished um, <laughs> uh, over and then hold for the next two bars. Now then take a stave and he's telling them how to write it. Wow. Meanwhile, we're we're fiddling around with an orchestra. Shit. And uh-huh. and you know, we can't get hold of any other uh, uh, we haven't got any other stuff to do. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're all sitting sitting around as they do reading newspapers, chewing gum and having cigarette breaks outside and coffee. You know, and within 20 minutes he was down. He said, "I got it. I got it." So we mm-hmm. said, "Great, great. Let's go. We we only got the musicians for another, you know, 15 minutes or so." And there it was. You know, wow. we we straight into it and it was just beautiful da, 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 this mm-hmm. huge arrangement mm-hmm. and it was just i think two takes we got it you know
1: amazing there was nothing so, to be changed i'm curious then i mean the albums that come after endless flight thunder thunder in my heart is also really good obviously all of them are but um yeah. did you feel they don't sustain the same level of you know zeitgeist fame that you were experiencing with endless flight were you Happy with how they turned out? Did I was really young. Very ha- no, no, very, okay. very happy. Uh, the problem, uh, look, there were a series of problems.
2: One was that my management kind of like started That's, to get greedy yes. and steal all the advance money. So basically yes. publicity went out of the window.
1: I get so, it. In other words, okay. was all of
2: the things, you know, Oh, I mean, you know, Endless Flight had billboards and had me going radio campaigns all over America. You know, uh, these are the things, as much as good music, these are the things that make a hit. Yes. And Richard got all of the all of the, you know, what we'll call black music R&B mm-hmm. um, promotion teams involved in You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, mm-hmm. which made it a hit because they they hooked into it. And and you know, a lot of a lot of people in the black music world didn't even know I was white.
3: I was going to so say
1: the same thing. Yeah. It so so you know, easy to cross these, over.
2: Yeah. There were some great tricks going on, you know, yeah. to promote it. Um and I was getting some fantastic TV as well. You know, you go on the Merv Griffin show and usually it would just be an interview, but no, they'd let me sing the song. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these these big, big mm-hmm. programs,
3: you know, show. Saturday
2: Night Live and things like that. Yeah. yeah, and I would be able to, you know, but by the time when Thunder and a Heart, we all felt that Thunder and My Heart was a better album in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know. Really? But it was kind of ahead of its time as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't really... The world was into different stuff. I mean, probably some more kind of novelty ish kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the rest of the charts were. And I was making a serious soul album, you know, in a way. So, you know, that kind of, although some hits came out of it, of course. Sure, it did. You know? not as big as it should have been, but, but definitely, you know, the Warner brothers side, uh, every time I went to them, they'd say, well, there's only just so much money to promote Leo and, you know, and I don't know, things, things just didn't gel. And I wasn't really doing a tour. I was doing a tour at the same time as Thunder in my heart, but I was still playing clubs, Mm, you know, and I was ready to play the big rooms and, and, you know, the management were kind of, I think they're more interested in keeping me down so I wouldn't find out what money they were stealing from
1: oh, me. Oh, maybe. So,
2: so you know, you had situations like that. And then the third album was Richard, which I thought was an absolute gem as well, with Lindsey Buckingham and Waddy yes. tell involved and, you know, many great elements, David Lindley and people like that, you know, a real sort of musical album. did cross over, of course, Mm because Can't Stop Loving You, you know, became a hit out of that. But, you know, we should have hit more with that record, Raining in My Heart, some of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, we were, and nobody was promoting it into the country region, which is where it should have been pointed, you know. I wondered. But a lot of sort of things, you know, I don't think anything got as good promotion as Endless Flight got, Mm -hmm. especially in America, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe in other countries, because Chrysalis was still involved in England. And you know, all of their subsidiaries over Europe, Phonogram and all these people, they were still pushing records, you know, at that time. But but in America, they weren't getting pushed. And even when we did um uh uh we finally got to 1980 and um you know there was one album I made called Here, which also I thought yeah. was a gem of an album. Yeah but that had nothing go you know, oh. nobody pushed that, couldn't get any TV, nothing. Here I am, I'm writing songs with Ray Parker Jr. and you he's know it's best. like yeah there, there's some. Great he's stuff been on, on here and he
1: talked about how much he loved you. By the way,
2: oh yeah, we're great ago and fans he of saying, each other. We, yes. we love each other mm. dearly. Yeah, he's a beautiful cat, beautiful yeah. man, very great gentleman. You know, yes. And what he hasn't played on, my yes. God, no kidding, yeah, you know? <laughs> <No kidding. laughs> Some of the greatest records, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. So, so he's the man. Um, yes. And as so much as Nile Rodgers gets. Niles Rogers gets all the credit for being the rhythm guitarist, but
1: Ray is the other one. Ray is great. The Ray's groove is like none other. So then (laughs) from after, after have you ever been in love in 84, you're done basically making albums for like 16 years. What do you do? I mean, is that when the Adam faith business problems (laughs) and bankruptcy is, is that just take over your life? all, all,
2: All around that time. Yeah. I mean, look, I just, um, after have you ever been in love and a reef and oh my god that's another case i mean warner's yeah. did nothing never even released any singles. makes you, know, no and we sense. Had,
1: you have a reef on there no, why do know, you pay I for know. that and then not promote the album cost I don't a get fortune
2: it. and it cost like me that. a fortune that one as well yes you know um and i loved working with a reef i mean one of the great gentlemen of music you know yes we felt we we again we felt we got some great stuff but mm-hmm. never mind you know i moved on from from there I now was back at home and I was kind of in England and I was still making an album a year. I mean, now I've got all these songs backed up that I've been working on and some of them have arrived on Selfie, you know, as well. Those songs that I wrote around that time, The Sound of the Surf and some of those songs were all written around that period.
0: We hit the bank in King Street Walked in with shooters and men. From the way in unto the getaway Ah, oh, you could tell that we were popular lads They hit ball With a park and cone Eddie split, I don't know where Left me running away with the money bags I don't know how I got out of there I hitched a ride on a rocky old boat, went overboard at line. I made a deal with a fisherman. I drove his truck from there to the Dordogne. I bought up, I exchanged the cash with a man who deals in currency there. The edge of South America, where the sound of the surf rolls in my ears, bringing me a peace I ain't had in 45 years, say hello to the people I know, from the south side and north side of Pamlico Road, tell them all the sun's shining here, I should know.
2: I never ever stopped working and thank God I had territories like South Africa and Australia right. here where I could come and tour, you know, and, and my, I mean, my credibility was good all over the world. So I'd go to Bangkok and Vietnam and all these countries, you know, um, and they, they greet me just like I was, you know,
1: okay.
2: like it was, it was still yeah. today. You, know, yesterday so you never still really today. went
1: away. You just were not as heavy in the public eye in America. So much.
2: Let's put it like, like this. I wasn't being from. I wasn't being promoted. Got it. So, you okay. know, that, that's basically it. so if you've got an artist who's not being promoted, you know, uh it, that's what happens, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. think of people like Eddie Money, you know, Graham there's Parker t- I mean, towards the end of their career, and nothing was prob- going for them.
3: Yes, yeah, even
2: Elvis prob- Costello for a while, you know. Yes. So so yeah, they, we all have people. Robert Palmer, we all have periods like that, you know. Yep. But you know, those guys got it back in the end. Um, you know, I, I suffered from not being able to get uh, my, my foot back in the door, hmm. you know. But I still privately, you know, built a studio, made records, worked away at different projects and did lots of live gigs,
3: nice. you know. Okay. Um,
2: so, I mean, I'm writing my book at the moment. And it's extraordinary that in 1985, I think I'd played 2000 shows. Real What? Wow. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so, so. Okay, it was, so you it didn't still go far.
3: Working.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, still, still okay. kept working. And so I've never, I've been one of those never give up guys. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've stayed on the plot all the way and I, I never have, you know, I never say never.
3: Yeah.
1: Good. And, um, it, it, well, do you still make money either, off of either the, to
2: my credit or my foolishness?
1: Well, I mean, you've proven <laughs> you've lasted all this time. Um. You've stood the test of time, and so have these songs. I mean, I, I'm yes. guessing you still make good mailbox money off of a lot of those hits, and you make me feel yeah. like
2: dancing. Yeah, totally. Like okay, totally. good. Totally. I mean, even sharing it 50% with Primary Wave. You right. Know, the, 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 and thanks to Primary Wave, I mean, my profile has gone up and up and right. up and up yeah. But um, since I've been with them, so which is just over a year now. But it is interesting. And I think that there's a time when all artists' time comes. You know, there's a time when you, when you do get recognized, and I suppose, because I've still got the same voice mm-hmm, and I've still got the hair and I mm-hmm. still look reasonably young for my age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've still got the, the, the equipment to kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, push this thing with. Yeah. But also, you know, I, 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 do see some of my contemporaries and they're really resting on their laurels. And I, mm-hmm. I don't understand that because yeah. for me, everything I've done up to now, mm-hmm. I just, dis- I discount. I don't think of it seriously. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as it's done, it's gone. Yeah. And I'm onto what's next.
1: Interesting. Good for you. Uh, and okay, I don't so know,
2: I... But I don't know that that is a weird gene, isn't
1: it? Well, that you're still no, I don't think so. I think that's an artist gene. I think that's a, that, <laughs> I think that's a creative person's gene because yeah, and I th- no I think creative that I artist haven't... wants to go back all the time. They want to yeah, be looking forward. I
2: mean, somebody asked me, you know, the other day, uh, what would you still like to achieve? And i I had a list as long as your arm you know, got, know headlining Glastonbury Madison Square Gardens you know yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah all that stuff <laughs> you
2: know So okay it's so I like, we... still got that to do you know it's still right. and I think it I like a fool I still think that there's you know possibilities for me to yeah. do that and I I do believe that somewhere like an organization like Live Nation was suddenly, hey, hang on, we should be taking on Leo, you know. Well and, and that and because you... because I'm gonna be the last man standing yes. in a lot of yes. these
1: situations as well. You well know? and I think the number one you hitting number one again a few years ago with Thunder in My Heart, the dance remix mm. version, that speaks a lot to this longevity. I mean they could yeah, have,
2: yeah, absolutely. Those
1: DJs could have picked anyone and done any song they wanted, and they chose yours mm, because mm, there's something yeah. to it. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and because the, yeah, and the song can live again.
1: Yes, and, and, and I, the fact I think that it it's number happening. one bears that out.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's what's happening with a lot of my songs now. You know that um, um, people are uh, are 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 kind of realizing they're very good, and mm-hmm. in a way, sort of treasuring the possibilities that that can be done with them. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Yeah. Really inspiring. Good.
1: Okay. I mean,
2: I have, we have, no Patri- oh, please go ahead. So, sorry. There, there'll probably be a remix of you make me feel a if You get, there's already been one, mm-hmm. but, um, which was like a Leo tribute record, it wasn't very good with a rapper and everything. Now Leo's number one all over the world. <laughs> I'll tell you, he's a big hit with all kinds of girls. I'm telling you, cause it's official. He's so hot, he's gonna go off like a missile.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta I gotta hear this one. I don't know that yeah. one. Um
2: it was it was by um if if you look up the Groove Generation, it's actually yeah. on YouTube. Okay. The Groove Generation does Leo's uh I think it was about nineteen 19- 94 or something
0: okay. like that. I'm gonna tell you what my problem is. Something happens when I see a chick who looks so fine with the body that's moving. Spruttin' down a strip as if the girl's proving. I start to hear a crazy beat, and then I can't control my feet. Time to check out do a better player. Step up to the microphone, Leo say ya. Big hip with all types of girls. I'm telling you, that's official. He's so hot, he gonna blow up like a missile. He's the man to help with your romancing. Guaranteed to make you feel like dancing. I guess it's true that Leo Sayer has the answer to my prayer.
2: they talked me into coming and singing the chorus and then the rapper kind of comes in. It's, there's a video. It's quite funny.
1: That's great. <laughs> so we have Patreon supporters and I always tell them who yes. I'm interviewing. And if they want to submit questions, they can, we got a few Please for do. you. I yeah. just want to go through these. Uh, Michael Bagford wants to know how you got involved with Roger Daltrey's first solo album.
2: Um, Basically because we had a publicist who was also the Who's publicist, a guy called Keith Altham. Now, Keith was a uh, music writer for New Musical Express, but he very very famously um, was the PR, uh, public relations guy, press relations guy for The Beatles, The Stones, Jimi Hendrix. He's the guy who persuaded Jimmy to set fire to his guitar really? in the Monterey Festival. Yeah, oh. because Jimmy was so fed up with s- supporting The Who on the mm-hmm. tour before, and them always saying, you know, um, and uh, you know, he was saying, you know, I-, I can't follow The Who. They smash up all their gear. And after that, nobody's interested in me, you know. <laughs> so he said, I, I just, you know, and Jimmy's headlining, but The Who would ruin the show for him, mm-hmm. steal the show. So so um, now we're going to play this festival. How am I going to be noticed? He said, why don't you set fire to your guitar? So they, <laughs> they went through <laughs> they went through LA on the way to Monterey, you uh-huh. know, and um, arrived and they went straight to the shop at LA and bought some lighter fluid and a lighter. And Jimmy had a spare guitar that yeah. he didn't really like very much. So they set fire to it. Yeah. And that
1: was right, it. Yeah. And, for, you know, that was one of the moments that of elevated. I kind yeah. I had the so, poster so of Keith, that on my wall in college.
2: There you go. You yeah. yeah. Worshipping the, you know, flames yes. of the guitar. That right. That's it. Yeah. That's the one. Um, uh, Sacrificial guitar. Uh-huh. But Keith was very clever and he worked, as I say, for so many different people for you know, uh, he he was a wonderful publicist. He wrote the first article. Adam Faith um, got him to come down and see me play, and in a little gig in you know before I was I was just on the cusp of going from Gerard Sayre to Leo Sayre, and he wrote an article in the New Musical Express in 1972, fifty years ago. That in January 1972, that was the precursor of He said, "Who sounds like Rod?" you know, and uh, uh, you know, he just said, who is all of these artists rolled into one? And I give you Leo Sayer. And it was like, I've seen the second coming and this guy's going to be huge. And we hadn't even finished the release of the album yet, but he put this article out. It was a very kind of brave article. So Keith remained around as a friend and he said, look, Roger's built a studio and he doesn't know who's going to, what to do with it. He wants to do a solo album. But he doesn't really have any." Great ideas. He's going to invite some of his mates down. He, he needs a guinea pig, really, to try out the studio. Why don't you go down there? So, Adam, why don't you take Leo there to finish the first album? And that's what we did. We recorded the show must go on about six or seven of the songs. You know, we 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 really sort of uh, we really got the whole album going, got it finished, completed, but did so much work on it. Yeah, it it got on with Roger so great. He Amazing. was just marvelous. And, you know, sometimes sit in an engineer for me. I remember, you know, I was doing a, a couple of gigs with a band and he said, look, I'll roadie you. And he brought, and we went up to Mitch Mitchell's house, borrowed Jimmy's old PA, and he just humped it all in the back of his Range Rover and set it all up. And everybody's saying, you know, that guy looks like Roger Daltrey, you're roadie. And he said, well, he is. <laughs> you know, wow. so, so so Roger was really cool and he, he, he and I just got on like a, Absolute House on Fire, sure. with Dave and Adam, of course, as sure. well. So so that's how it all came about. And, Amazing. And one day he just turned around and said, Dave and me, he just said, look, I, I want to do a solo album. I love your songs. Can you write some for me? And we said, well, we've got some already. And we started playing him some. And he said, "Great, right, I love that one and that one and that one. And then Adam kind of said, right, I'll produce. And, and so, you know, there went. Adam and Dave started on the album. We held up my album, which was just about finished. We held it up so that the Daughtry album would come out first, which Daughtry thought was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And Roger went all around, around the States kind of um, singing my praises and amazing. saying, wait till you hear this guy. So I had the best publicist in the world, from Keith Alvin yeah. being a wonderful publicist to 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 that link to Roger, and then Roger telling everybody, wait till you hear Leo Sayer. So that kind of set up Silverbird in a very nice way.
1: Wow, so that's how it came about. That's amazing. Um, and we okay. mates. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is, you've got, I'm excited to read this book, Leo, because <laughs> yeah, the yeah. stories you must have. Um, okay. A couple Absolutely.
2: more. Philip I think Hopwood, Roger might be writing the preface for the book, actually.
1: <laughs> really? Which would be really cool. Yeah. He's, he's, he wants to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Incredible. So Philip Hopwood, he asks a few things. Uh, we're getting short on time. So I'm just going to ask one yeah. of them. Do you have a favorite song that you've written? That's a, that's maybe a hard question. So I'm going to tweeze that a little bit. Do you have a favorite song you've written that we may, be, we may not know or we might be surprised to find out? It doesn't oh, have to be one of the um, hits. It could be something, you know, an album track or whatever.
3: Yeah,
2: there's a few. Um, but I always think that giving it all away for me is the central favorite song that I do and the favorite one I perform. Had
0: all my juice so I picked up my shoes and got up and walked away. Oh, I was just a boy Giving it all away Well out and failed Now all I can say is I threw it all away Oh, I was just a boy Giving it all away Sail away Sail away
3: Given it all away. Oh
0: yeah. I know better now. I know better now. I've
3: given it
0: all away.
2: I always embellish it as well and, and talk about how glad I'm to it's always the finishings song on a show and yeah play a lot of harmonica on it as well and yeah um you know because that's how I started being a harmonica mm-hmm. player so so that becomes a big part of it um and you know that to me is the is, is the most important song it's the one like that seems too. to have lasted more than anything else yeah. as for obscure songs I mean look I look on them all as chapters in a book you know they're mm-hmm. they're all valuable and they're all a part of mm-hmm. a part of each other I don't mm-hmm. think there's one song that really sort of um
1: you've answered you know, the question become, i think that's an excellent answer yeah, yeah i like that
2: i want them to listen to all of them and and the fact that i'm a gemini taurus um mm-hmm. on the cusp and this kind of multifaceted guy who's changed his style all the, the way through his career um they all fit for me you know mm-hmm. whereas for some people they'll have you know some people call me disco icon jesus I only wrote four dance hits right but that that's the they gotta they gotta find a label because they yeah.
1: can't have multifaceted, can they right right <laughs> they want to put you in a box um okay yeah. one of our other listeners ian ian sharp sends a really nice note by the way he um he's mentioning he's ta- he's wondering what it must have been like being in those studios that you talked about a minute ago with all these incredible yeah. players a lot of them we've had on the show jay Graydon, lisa yes Splarr, yes Russ Kunkel, yeah, Waddy yeah, Wachtel, yeah, all these yeah. Ray Parker, all these guys have been on the show. Have you? Can you remember a moment in one of these West Coast studios with all of these legendary people where it was just magic? You know, everything is flowing. Gone, yeah, well, thunder, okay, yeah, Give th- us an idea. Thunder,
2: in, yeah, thunder in my heart. We put together an amazing band. We'd had Michael Amadian, great pianist, mm-hmm. unbelievable pianist, and also producer of Bobby Bland, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. and and one of my favourite singers of all time. And Big fan. Christopher Cross, of course, you know, that, that's yeah. Michael Amadi uh, and and Steve. Uh, he worked with Steve Alemo a, a lot, you know. They were a team. But we'd had Michael playing on the first album, and I knew he was incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. He and I ended up writing two of the songs on Thunder in My Heart together. Uh, he was just this amazing player. So we had him for the Thunder in My Heart sessions, and we also brought back Larry Carlton, and Larry was at a good place in his life at this time because, well, he and I—he had taken me up to um, uh, uh, a club um, in 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 the valley where he'd had me playing with singing with BB King, you know, on, oh on his gosh. gigs up there. So I knew Larry very well because we were hanging and playing a lot together, and of course, you know, we were mutual friends with the Steely Dan boys, and mm-hmm. you know, so so that was great. We had Jeff Beccaro. he was locked in. And he was my closest friend, mm. you know, And on all of these LA. times. We lived just around the corner from each other, and we talked every day, me and Jeffrey. Mm. I miss him a lot. You know, he's one okay. of the people I really miss.
1: Everyone who so knows Jeffrey says that. Yep.
2: Yeah, and then we brought in a bass player, um, Abe Laboriel,
1: Another legend. <laughs> now,
2: now, Abraham was a – well, at this time, Abraham was a Mexican guy who'd arrived in L.A. and basically knocked everybody out because – he had a style of playing, which was like nobody else. I mean, maybe the closest thing to him is that African guy who plays on the Paul Simon records. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember his name, but, you know, these got, you know, Abraham had a different way of playing. He wasn't like Chuck Rainey or, mm-hmm. or Lee Sklar or anybody. He just, he, you know, his fingers would go everywhere on the bass. He'd play in octaves that were different to everybody. So we've had this fantastic band in the studio. And I was writing some songs with Albert Hammond Um, and writing with Albert is like a funny kind of affair. We've written a lot of songs together since we have about 140 songs we've written. Um, Some of them appeared again on selfie Mm -hmm. and restless years, the album before that, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, they just got to get out there. Mm -hmm. So, so, and he had a solo album with all of, you know, all the songs we wrote together as well. so, so, we did very sketchy. I remember we wrote this song in the morning. I think we got together at 11 o'clock in the morning and the session was at two and we had, I want you back. I want you back. I'll never stop until I get you. That's as much as we had, you know, we had like one verse mm-hmm. and Richard said, Oh, play it. And we played it to Michael. And then Michael started playing it and went, wow. You know, suddenly, Oh, that inversion. And, you know, this mm-hmm. suddenly it became, and and Larry's listening in and going, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, then you can have a change of key here. And then Abe chips in and says, mm, you know, you should just shift the tempo just slightly. And Jeff says, yeah, I can do that. Great. Let's just do it. So we, th- this is discussion around one verse in front of the piano. Oh. And then we go. And I'm, Richard set me up in the studio this time in a glass booth. So I was in the middle of the room. And Larry was to the to the uh, to the left of me, you know, with a bass and guitar, were with Abe. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see them too well, but I could see Michael right in front of me and Jeff right in front of me. And Larry got a long lead so he could walk in front in front of everybody, and he directed the performance. Mm-hmm. And we did one take. That is one take, that song, I want you back.
0: It not matter much now, baby. I should have never let you go.
2: And It's probably the best vocal performance and the best song. I mean, even key changes, everything you know, were done in one take. Yeah, it's a long track and amazing. And that was that was the collection of those guys. Yes, you know, perfect. And it was just done, and we all just sat back after and went. And Richard said, "I'm not going to let you do another take." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 because we were just saying, "Oh, we could
3: get it better."
2: Nope, nope. No. And he we're not going to no, touch it. That's it. That's it. But, you know, the guys knew with little hand signals, and I, I i was on the same level, we knew where we could take it. I'd go like that, and Larry would go, yeah, mm-hmm. up, you know, and go one step, or, or half a step would be that. One step was that, you know, half a step <sighs> was that, one step. Yeah. So we, we, could, we could do these, and then half a step down, uh-huh. okay, great, great. After four, you know. So you, you don't actually you don't hear Larry playing guitar all the way through it because he's uh-huh. directing, and then he comes in this amazing. The solo was also live. Yeah. His solo oh, is incredible.
1: Man. Wow! Oh man.
2: So okay. I mean, I love moments, that song, yeah.
1: but now I got to go listen to it again, <laughs> knowing the story behind it. That is amazing. Yeah.
2: Okay. And we had nothing, you know, before we got in it. As I said, just
1: one verse. That is amazing. Okay. Last bit. We've talked. We've danced around the Adam Faith issue a little bit. I mean. Famously, the guy screwed you out of lots and lots of money, but my Mm. understanding is that you basically forgave him, are grateful for the career that he helped launch for you, and you were even a pallbearer at his funeral. How do you get around (laughs) this mentally, right? This is what I heard anyway.
2: Well, you know, look, mentally, I don't think I'd be here if it wasn't for Adam. Um, So basically… I, th- I think that I think that he gave me so much of my confidence, mm-hmm. and was a fantastic mentor in those early years. Opened so many doors, made things happen. You know, brought in people like Keith Altham, and you know, which led to Roger Daltrey, and then kind of you know got me into America, and you know, soldiered away persuading people to take on Leo Sayer, at all sort of a- avenues in my career. So you know, you've got you can't you can't you know you can't just run away from that. Okay. I mean, he was a bit of a gangster and stealing money and things like that. And, you know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be say playing in Vegas with Bill Cosby. Uh, I'd get $45,000 for Mm -hmm. three weeks at the Hilton. The real fee that would be coming to me was three quarters of a million.
3: Oh, wow.
1: But
2: I would never see that. You know, I'm dual headlining with Bill, you know, um, Bill's getting about five mil for the gig. I'm getting close to a mil, but the, but he, but he, he thieved the rest. I got 45 K. Oh,
1: that hurts.
2: You know, so this was going on all the way through and we've been doing extra shows, which I'd never get paid for. And there'd always be a bag man in there to collect the money. If it was kind of, uh, you know, I, I I could tell you stories, but I mean, look, it's and, and in the end, you know, what do you do? Do you beat yourself up and have heart attacks and everything over, over, things you can't fix because they're gone. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much, as I said before, I'm a believer in put the past away and mm-hmm. crack on, you know, mm-hmm. make make do with what you got. And I got worse rip-offs later on because I had a guy who was forged my signature on contracts and gave away all of my catalogue, everything. Oh. You know, I'm still stuck with um, a publishing deal for my back catalogue, which, okay, I'll get money out of and everything, but I should have owned those songs. And I did own them at one moment, and the next yeah. minute it all got taken from me. I actually owned everything. I thought yes. I was a shrewd businessman for five minutes. Yes, yes. You know, I had a yeah. whole lot. And uh, I, I mean I should be a multimillionaire. Yeah. But I'm not,
1: you know, I'm comfortable. Yeah. It's cool. I've got you a lovely You built it house all in. back up. That's great. I mean, we, that but takes we built it up from scratch. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah.
2: You know, and I did some hard yards to do that. You know, I was paying back thieved um, credit card money and mm-hmm. everything like that. You know, you're just going out there doing cash gigs and mm-hmm. eventually going and phoning the credit card office mm-hmm. the, six months later and saying, I've got your money, mm-hmm. you know, and, oh, okay, we might give you a bank account again then, mm-hmm. you know. So things like – that's what we went through, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it's horrendous, you know, when you're just wow. having to sell all your – all. you know, I had to sell all my watches that i built up over the years and lots of things, you know, to mm-hmm. – to, to get to the next point, you know, but it's okay because I'm, I'm actually glad I'm still hungry, you know, for, for things or, or for, 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 um, you know, call it success in a way. I mean, not generally success, but, but, you know, to, to, to get success out of what I do. I mean, I'm thrilled with Northern songs because the reaction is (laughs) incredible everywhere. (laughs) So I feel finally I've done something that's affecting people, you know, so it's a good template to start from.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, Leo, I think you're a legend, and anyone who <laughs> legend digs-
2: just like
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyone who digs into the Leo Sayer catalog beyond those '70s hits is going to hear yeah. a little bit of everything, and all of it is quality. And like you said earlier, I wanted to stress the voice is absolutely still there. And so yeah, I think what you've been doing these last few years is so interesting. And I hope more people mm-hmm. get, give it a shot because it's worth listening to. Thank you for talking and, with and, me. I've been wanting to do have, this for years. And have a look at YouTube because
2: you'll mm-hmm. find some interesting stuff on there and oh, Vimeo because I've been making a lot of one-off stuff that I've just done. You know, I mean, I made a song called No Fracking Way with a bunch of Australian musicians. Lesson one, loads gun.
0: Lesson two, grease some wheels, gas some sexy spinadilles. Lesson three, something leaks, poison water spread disease. Oh, did you think we'd stand by and let you do it? No! Did you think we'd stand by
3: and let you do it?
2: It was only about fracking and uh-huh. CS gas, wow. and I refused to make it a record because basically then the publishers mm-hmm. and the—I mean, it is published—the publishers and the record company would make money. I didn't want them making any money, and mm-hmm. you know, it was more to inform people mm-hmm. about what the dangers of of, of mm-hmm. fracking and mm-hmm. and and um, and and coal seam gas, you know. Yeah. So, so there's things like that, and then i uh, two songs about the uh, about the, the COVID as well. You know, one is "How Did We Get Here," mm-hmm. and another one, um, "My City in Lockdown," which was all about the city of Melbourne when it was oh going Christ. through horrendous yes. things. You know, so yeah. so every now and then I do other stuff as well. You know, I so
1: I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope everyone to, finds it. Thank you, Leo, yeah. for talking with me. Cheers, man. All all right, right, have a good have day. A good you too. Bye bye. Nice to talk to you. All right, there you have it, Leo Sayer. He mentioned that song that he did with Lindsay Buckingham. I thought we should play that. It's called Something Fine. This is it right here. And just even out of morbid curiosity, you got to go check out Northern Songs. Uh get it by all means because it's a lot of fun and it's great. Selfie also is fantastic, but uh it you just have to hear it to be to believe it because it's so creative it's such radical reinterpretations of these songs especially the the eleanor rigby that plays off of billy jean i mean who would have thought of that anyway thank you leo for talking with me next week we have another legend now here's the deal i thought this i was sure this person was in the rock and roll hall of fame turns out they are not but the person that they have basically been the the robin to their batman for the int- for fifty years almost is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So this the person who is wouldn't be who they are without this person supporting their vision and making it happen and realizing it. This person is also a multi hyphenate, a g- really good writer, writes books, write art, writes articles. One of the best rock rock on tours there is. That's who's coming up next week. Huge thanks as always. To Yan, the Man my right-hand man, thank you, buddy, for everything. You guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The hustlepod. If you're new to the podcast, go back into the archives. Last week was our seventh birthday celebration, and we celebrated with DMC from Run DMC, Daryl McDaniels himself. It was fantastic. Anyway, we love you all. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Cause I know that there's still something there for me But you said Morocco, and you made me smile And it hasn't been that easy for a long, long while And looking back into your eyes, oh, I saw them really shine Giving me a taste of something fine something, something fine. fine Now if you see Morocco for well I know you'll go in style May not seem a for a little while But while you're there I was hoping you might keep it in your mind To save me just a taste of something fine of something fine